0: Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks to the people who have joined us today on what is, I think, going to be one of the hottest days of the year. And certainly, I appreciate everyone. A lot of people will be catching up on this podcast. So, thanks for tuning in. My name is Paul Church. I'm the managing director of InterQuest. We're a tech data and digital recruitment business. This is our people culture and tech community, uh, a, a, an area and webinar and podcast series where we, we share ideas to try and improve our businesses, ourselves, and hopefully we can take away something that makes us feel or do or be just a little bit better. We had a couple of weeks off. We were quite consistent for 17 weeks, uh, had a couple of weeks off. In, during that time, the community has grown to 800 and 60 people which is fantastic so I appreciate people who are liking and sharing and telling people about this and we'll certainly keep keep it going as long as those numbers grow so today we're going to be discussing our well-being and the virtuous circle of well-being and, and, and how we can help him look after our people look after ourselves and, and where the responsibilities around that lie I've got two expert speakers Andy cast and Nicholson so if, uh, I suppose just to start off if we could ask you both to give us a bit of an intro into you who you are what you do and, and why why this topic so important to you, Andy, the people whisperer, if we could speak, mm-hmm. I could start with you, that'd be great.
1: Yep, sure. So um, thank you, Paul. So I, I am the People Whisperer. I'm a consultant, HR consultant, and I also work alongside Joe for Pro Action HR. We also run a podcast, the Totally Human podcast, which is about psychological issues that we all face on a daily basis. Employee wellness has always been something that I've been incredibly interested in ever since I've had a 15-year career with the uh, John Lewis Partnership, so Waitrose and John Lewis. And looking after our staff as all, was always most, most, one of the most important things uh, that you could do as a, as a leader. So I think employee wellness is important and it's becoming even more important as we hit things like COVID. Mental health of our employees is hugely important and how we can make sure that people are looked after. It's not ever a situation where it used to be that work stops at 5 p.m. And, and p- private life begins. It's much more of a work life integration that we have now. And I think we need to appreciate that as leaders. So that's why it's important to me.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Andy. Welcome to the show. And, uh, and Joe, how about yourself?
2: Yeah. So I am a health psychology and occupational psychology master's graduate. So my background's always been in psychology, and I've worked in various academic roles and research psychology. And then I uh, sold my soul and went over into the corporate world. And uh, work for a bank in product management. But my heart has always been in what motivates people to behave in a particular way and the well-being of people at work. So after maternity break, this is where I my passion now lies and co-founded ProAction HR with an element of that to look at the well-being of employees in the workplace. So how we can help organisations address, address those needs and look at the individual differences, which is always a challenge. So that's my passion.
0: So before we dive into the questions, just as always, anyone who's, who's joined us today live on the webinar, please feel free to, to pop a question in the chat box or put your hand up and I I'll, I'll welcome you to take to the stage, as it were, to ask, ask our speakers questions. But I've got plenty of questions, so let, let's start. So Andy, I think um, when we had our initial conversation, I think you actually came up with the Virtuous Circle of Wellbeing name. So let's just dissect what that actually means and what it is and where that came from.
1: Yeah, of course. Whether it was actually originally mine or whether I heard it somewhere, I've got no idea. But yeah, I think it was a discussion we were having about what is it that's important about wellness. And, and it relates to my days back in, in Waitrose and John Lewis where everyone was a partner in the business and actually we had rights and responsibilities. So you have certain rights as an employee, but you always have responsibilities to balance that up. And for me, the wellness is a virtuous circle because whilst there are lots of expectations on employers to make sure we have wellness programs and we look after the health of our employees, there's also the other side that employees have to join in. They have to um, engage with that process as well. So. Obviously, if an employer puts in a wellness programme, employees need to engage with that wellness programme. And if they do, they'll be happy, they'll be healthy and that will make the employers happy. So they'll put more wellness in and it goes on and on and on. So it's a, it's a self-fulfilling circle. Basically, that's what I think the, the virtuous circle is. Absolutely.
0: Joe, do you have anything to add to that? Or anything, any thoughts around that at all?
2: Yeah. And of course, it's never that simple, is it? Because, you know, if the organisation isn't offering what meets the needs of employees, then they're unlikely to engage. So the employer has a responsibility to make sure that what they're offering actually does meet the needs of their uh, employees, which will be very varied. And to come up with one programme that's going to meet everyone's needs is, is what is a challenge in itself. So it's, it's not a simple circle, but absolutely, they need to get right so that people will want to participate
0: Absolutely. And Joe, what, what do you think in terms of, we know that it sounds obvious it's important we look after each other and look after the well-being of our workforce, but why for you, you know, in your role and what you see, why is it so important that businesses need to make this a priority now? What, what do you think?
2: Well, obviously, I mean, we've got the, the events that are happening and we know that psychological ill health has almost doubled in some aspects over the recent 12 months. And so for a lot of employees, they're facing challenges that they've never faced before. Now, you know, there are, is a responsibility that organisations have to address some of those well-being and to actually encourage employees to bring their whole selves to work. So, you know, obviously organisations want their staff to be performing at their best. If staff are feeling any kind of psychological ill health and they don't feel like they can be themselves, they're not bringing that self to work, then it's going to cause stress, which means they're not going to be able to performing at their best. And obviously, we know that this can perpetuate the worst case scenario and you end up with staff with burnout and, you know, not being able to perform. So that's sort of obviously the whole circle there. So, you know, then I don't know whether for employees at the moment, they're looking at people who are addressing some of these needs. They've got this need to be addressed. And if organisations aren't meeting those needs, it could be something that they start looking at. But when they're looking for future employers, who who can look after my
0: well-being? Where do you see us at now? Because we've been through so many phases during the pandemic, if we just look at that. Where where do you see ourselves, what you're seeing from businesses and people you're talking to in terms of where are the well-being levels? I mean, obviously, I'd say maybe the beginning of this year was particularly tough. You know, it was dark. It was miserable. We didn't know what was going to happen. We're coming out of it now. With that, are you seeing improved well-being or are are we still in kind of a languishing phase, would you say?
1: I would say that if anything, the anxiety is building up as we're getting ready to return to the workplace. That's the biggest issue with most of the people I'm talking to at the moment, because it's a new change. And it's something, you know, a year and a bit ago, we went through this huge change that we weren't expecting. We've had the opportunity to develop through that. Some of us have gotten really used to not going into the office. Some of us have used to not doing that commute to work anymore and if anything that is adding an anxiety that we probably haven't felt before you know certainly from a personal position on that you know I've got my little garden office built now which I've been in I haven't really associated with people in a normal way for quite some time and when I have to do it it's going to be quite concerned so I think I mean Joe I don't know if you agree on that is is that our biggest issue?
2: Um, well, certainly it's something that's fell into my mind at the moment when people are thinking about that return to work and the people really addressing those needs. And from that personal experience, just even travelling to work, you know, that journey to work, that getting on public transport, all these things they haven't had to do for such a long time that's causing anxiety. And I think for a lot of people with psychological ill health and these concerns, it's how much you voice it. Because if you voice it, are people actually understanding and are you being a pain? Am I going to put myself in a worse position by voicing how I'm feeling? Are people going to judge me because of that? Is it going to go against me in my workplace? So, you know, I think there's all those worries that people have got in that returning back to the workplace that is forefront of people's minds. It's causing that anxiety and the well-being.
1: And and it's funny, really, because I think mental health and the, the movement towards better mental health isn't new. It's not just being caused by COVID. But it's almost been building up over the last few years, hasn't it? We had the Caroline Flack situation, the Be Kind movement. Everything has been gearing up. And it's almost like COVID has been the tipping point, which has shown everybody we need to start caring about people. And we need to start thinking about the impact that this situation has had on their mental health. But it's, it's not new, but it's almost been exacerbated by something that nature has thrown at us.
0: I think, um, yeah, I mean, certainly one of the good things to come out of the last 14 months is that, People have got a lot of empathy for each other and mm-hmm. everyone's been in the same battle in some form. So it's more of a conversation now, which is a good thing. In terms of the return to work, I was reading an article this morning. One that I think the number one trending article on LinkedIn right now is the, the data which is showing people will quit their jobs rather than return to the office if they're being forced back in. Uh, I know one large recruitment firm, for example, has forced people back five days a week, taking two COVID tests per week, it's, it's you're going to struggle to keep it. well, and we're, in, and we're in the middle of a talent war. So apart from that, if we, if we bring it back to wellbeing specifically, mm. what, what are the commercial risks for businesses not making this a priority now? What do you, what do you think, Joe?
2: Well, obviously, as you say, we talked about burnout a bit earlier when you've got um, staff who aren't able to perform and the impact on their lost days. And actually people voting with their feet to go to organisations that are addressing it. And Andy's in a really good place to talk about presenteeism, um, which we know is a big issue as well, where people aren't bringing their whole self to work. I don't really want to chip in there, Andy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so obviously presenteeism is is just as bad as absenteeism because if people are being forced to return to the office and they don't feel they have a choice, so, so you'll get those people who vote with their feet and leave, but you will also get the people who don't feel they can. So they're coming into work on a daily basis, feeling uncomfortable, feeling unsure, feeling anxious, they are not doing their best for you. <laughs> you know They will not give their best work. And the additional stress that you're causing them will add you know, layers onto everything. Presenteeism is, is just as damaging as absenteeism. And in fact, the best thing you can do with someone who is struggling is have a conversation with them about saying, oh, should you be here today? Shouldn't you be at home? Shouldn't you be having some time to work this through? So yeah, absolutely, presenteeism, big issue.
0: So for employers, where, where do employers start when, they, if we're they, if at a point where we're thinking, right, we need to make well-being and wellness a priority in our business now, kind of a standing start. What's the starting stance for you, Andy?
1: Starting stance is start asking questions, start, start the conversation, in addition to demonstrating that actually, you know, your, your executives are just as vulnerable to this. So show that depression and mental health doesn't, Just Well, it doesn't discriminate. Anybody can suffer from mental health. And I I think burnout is an obvious example of that. Burnout can happen to anybody. So I think the first thing that that, that a board would need to do is share their experiences, tell the stories about how difficult it is for them to come back to work, the, the struggles they've had over lockdown, because that will start the conversation that people need to have. From there, you need to ask people, we'll make this better. And so start those forums, start having discussions with people about what can we do to make it easier for you to come back to work, if it's a return to work, or uh, if you're struggling, what can we do? And that's not just the mental health side, because obviously, you know, that, that's, that's prime. So part of employee health isn't just the mental side, but the, the physical side. It's what can we put in place that will help you be the best person you can be, the best version of yourself. This isn't just a one step in time. This is a, an ongoing programme. Certainly something that, that Joe and I would do is, is go into businesses and help them ask their staff what is the best thing that we can offer. And it, it won't be a one-size-fits-all, as, as Joe said. What, what do you think, Joe?
2: I mean, I, don't, I think it's a really interesting question because what I pick up on is that it's a really scary question to start opening this on wellbeing at work. And a lot of the people who are sitting in that position to be able to ask it don't know the answer they don't have it you know it's a can of worms almost it's scared of opening that kind of worms and you want to know but if I ask the question and I get an answer I've got to do something with that and I don't know what that is and how much is it going to cost me how much time I don't know what it is I'm scared of it I've never had any mental health myself so you know I, d- I don't really know and you know I think the first reassurances is is by not asking the question the problem isn't going to go away so that's the first thing I think that just needs to be acknowledged is that It's not going to go away. It is a problem for some people. And, you know, you can chunk up that kind of worms. I call it segment the worms. You know, you can kind of go, first of all, it can be just about some training. If you've got limited resource and time, it can be okay. Let's look at the training. You know, as Andy said, you need to ask the right questions of your staff, but to do that, you've got to help prepare your line managers, ask those questions. You ask your line managers to go and ask their staff how they're feeling and they don't respond in the right way, then actually that can also create more harm. You know, your staff can be thinking, well, no one really cares anyway. He's asking me, but I'm not telling him, you know, or her or whatever. You know, they're never going to understand. So I think some of it is just about looking at what are some of the simple things you can do, providing some signposts to line managers that if you've got someone with particular issues that you're worried about, this is where you can go with that or this is where you can direct them just so people feel less afraid of the issues. And I think that's really important. And even if it is just some training to get yourself going, the word that me and Andy use a lot is compassion. Feeling that compassion, actually actively listening to your staff and showing compassion will go such a long way. It doesn't have to be a huge and weirdly wellbeing programme that can be scary. It's just sometimes about asking the right questions and listening. And then the rest can come. I mean, we've got lots of steps that, you know, you can take to sort of look at this. But the other one that doesn't necessarily cost a lot or unworldly is also looking at the culture. And like Andy says, getting your board to look at how they feel, show their vulnerability. Don't just talk the talk, you know. You can share how you're feeling and actually saying, look, we genuinely want you to be able to talk about these things. We care and we are here for you. We don't know the answers. We don't have it all. But we want to work with you and, you know, just set some of those parameters. But just say ignoring the problem isn't going to make it go away, sadly.
1: Something there about the opening the can of worms piece. You're right, Joe, it won't go away. And part of the open, transparent discussion is about saying we can't fix every problem. And knowing that by opening the can of worms, you're going to find out the issues. And sometimes you can't deal with those. But at least if you're having discussions about it, you're a step closer we
0: had a question for about five minutes ago on the private chat. It said, um, who should be pushing this? Is it a top-down, bottom-up approach or is it everyone's responsibility? And my first thought was, "What well, is it's the virtuous circle, so it's everyone's responsibility. But actually, what you've both said there reminds me, it's a very key point. I think it needs to start at the top in terms of the displaying of vulnerability because if, if the, the board or the MDs or whatever aren't displaying their vulnerability, no one else is going to feel comfortable doing that either, are they? You, you're spot on.
1: It has to start at the top it then becomes everybody's responsibility. So like every employee engagement piece, you know, it, it's about is it the manager's job to do it? No, it's not the manager's job to make me engaged. That's my job to become engaged. It's the manager's job or the leader's job to enable me to be engaged. Because it you know, if if I'm not enabled, and it's the same with the wellness, if I'm not enabled to be well, then how can I be well? If I don't take those opportunities, then how can I be well? And, and that's why the virtuous circle
2: But it doesn't mean that the employees themselves can't get involved in launching some of those initiatives and own particular streams of an initiative. And again, what you find is you get bigger buy-in the more collaboration you've got. So for the employees, for them to have a a programme that they feel they've got a stake in, they've had an input, it's what they want, you know, that they feel like they have been included. For them to drive that themselves actually is what we we believe, is a good thing for you to get the results.
1: It has to start with someone, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> someone needs to spark the match, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah. And you both mentioned about asking the questions of the business. Once, let's say once we've started the conversation, what, if we talk about logistically-wise, how do you go about asking the questions? Is it sit-down interviews with everybody? Is it sending out a pulse survey or whatever? What, what, what do you recommend as the starting point? What, what's the most effective approach?
1: I think there there are a variety of approaches. Both of you know, two of which you've mentioned: there, a survey, forums, interviews. I think it depends on the size of your organisation, the numbers of staff you've got, uh, the complexity, uh, how are you? you know, are you a multi, multi-site o- o- operation? I mean, that's where Joe and I would come in. And obviously, one, one thing we would do is meet with um, the leaders of the business to say, let's see what's the best thing of doing for your organization. There will be no one-size-fits-all approach to this either. So it's about making sure that you get everybody involved as much as you possibly can. And we would always start with probably a survey especially if you're multi-located. So we'd start with a survey, an anonymous survey, that would enable all of your people to have their say, but we'd follow that up with the forums. So we'd follow it up. We wouldn't just take that survey and say, right, this is what everybody wants. We'd sit down and talk to people to have learning groups. So you'd use the data from the survey to create forums and learning groups. And say, OK, well, 57% of the of the staff here think that we want fresh fruit on a, on a Friday. What does that actually mean? What does that look like? Is that an accurate figure? So we'd start diving into the information. You can only do that by talking.
2: I mean, the, the thing is, what, you, what you've got going on at the moment is a lot of people obviously got on board with well-being. And it's really positive that there are some quite big surveys out there now. And I think that's great and really positive. What you don't want this to become is a tick box exercise and just a load of data that, you know, we've done a survey. And so we've done this off the back of it. You know, it's about actually adding the meaning into that and the dialogue that Andy says and those workshops that go with it. And actually putting something to that survey so it becomes meaningful and the support. We we would want to talk to people. And I've completely forgot the other thing that I was going to say, but it will come back to me in a minute.
0: (laughs) That's okay. So I think with um, one question I had written down is, is how do businesses ensure they get it right while still understanding they can't be everything to everybody? Is the answer to that based on what I suppose what you've both been saying, really just making sure, I suppose the honesty piece is important is saying that we can't fix everything at once, but also making sure it's as inclusive as possible as many people are involved in that journey in a conversation as possible.
1: Exactly that, Paul. I'm not sure I could add much more to that than you know, just invite people to be part of it. If decisions are made in the boardroom or in the on the management suite that don't involve everybody's in in interest, then they won't engage in it and they won't take up on it. You know, it's like my funny example of the free fruit on Fridays. You know, in some businesses that might work, but it's not a one size fits all piece. And I keep saying that term because it isn't. But it won't appeal to everybody. Um, it might appeal to one percent. And we're all different. Something you said right at the beginning of of the the podcast, Paul, is uh, we've all been in the same situation with Mm -hmm. the pandemic. We have, but we've all had different experiences. And that, for me, is a really valid point here, because just because my experience actually, overall, I've quite found it okay to be in this pandemic because of the kind of person I am. It's been easier for me in many ways. I haven't had to travel anywhere. I find it easier to talk you know, with people on screens than perhaps I do in real life, especially if there's lots of them. So in some ways, I've had an OK experience. Other people won't have done. What we can't do is assume that just because we've had a particular experience, everybody's had that experience. And that goes for wellness as well. You know, we can't always put our opinions on other people.
0: Yeah, I heard it articulated very well. We're all in the same storm, but in different <laughs> ships. So I can't claim that to be mine, unfortunately. But uh, it's nice. And of- all
1: sailing together,
2: though—that's the important thing, isn't it? We're all sailing together.
0: Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So, so, Joe, how do you—if we, if we're creating this safe space, we're creating this space where we're getting this conversation going around mental well-being and mental wellness—how do you encourage those who are less interested in being a part of it in the business? Because if we've got a virtuous circle, if we've got people yeah. outside of the circle, then it, surely it breaks down.
2: Do you know, and and I find this fascinating from the psychology point of view and the whole uh, influence of attitudes on behaviour and how can you predict behaviour and what people will do. And, you know, if you have got someone there who's been quite uh, dissing of the whole approach, you haven't got buy-in, you know, they can be quite vocal and, you know, we actually feel the need to fit in with the people around us. And, you know, actually that negative voice can be quite dominating and can affect other people's attitudes. So, you know, for those people who aren't really being by it, it is about trying to bring them along with you on the journey and find those persuasive messages that actually that the board are believing in what they're doing. They're not just doing it for the sake of it, uh, that there is a reason and that they are going to listen to what's being said then I think you're going to help persuade them on their attitude. will not necessarily determine their behaviour at the end of it, but you know, if they get a voice being heard, then uh, that's going to help that. And then if you can see that other people are doing it as well, you actually want to start conforming with what they're doing. If you've got people participating and they believe it's a good thing, and actually that can help sway too. So once you've got the majority of people on board, people tend to want to fit in. And then obviously, if you're offering some programmes and they're going, oh, you know, yoga, I'm not doing that, you know, and they're dissing it. And it might be that doesn't suit them. It might be that they need something else and they've, they've come up with something else and it might be that will never sway them. But it might be that you can think about how you're presenting that offer, that it might be that there's just a bit of encouragement of why. And a lot of people feel that if they don't have the ability to do something, it can put them off as well. If you've got all these things going on, like it's not really want what anyway, and I have no idea what I'm doing sometimes some of these programs have to be pitched at the right level and starting people off altogether so that they feel like they've got opportunity to change some of those attitudes so I know it can get quite complex when you think about all these things but that's why I don't think it is just a simple tick box exercise on a questionnaire you know there are going to be some people who aren't going to get their needs net needs met sorry you know and sometimes it might be a case you're not going to be able to meet everyone's needs but you can try and for those who might be on the outskirts you can try and encourage them and it might be more that that conversation with their line manager is more of what they need and trying to persuade them in a non-aggressive way but a very sort of you know way that they think yeah actually I'll go along with that and it's amazing what peer that, that need to sort of conform with peers can do really.
0: You can't be like right. You will share about your well being. We're going to do it right now. We're going to tell us how you feel. Well, what do you What do you think, Andy? What do you think? What do you think is the solution to that? If there is one,
1: I think it, it goes down to the role modelling piece. So I have seen companies put in these great wellness programs, you know, all singing, all dancing wellness programs, and then you never see anybody above. You know, a certain level attend any of the meetings or attend you know, mindfulness sessions for example you put those in place and it feels really uncomfortable for some execs to go to those sessions especially if they're there with other people for, from you know other departments lower lower down in the, in the um, company hierarchy but that's exactly how you can start those conversations get people going who might not have gone before and I think the more we can tell people that it will benefit them from going and trying these things you know even if they like, try it and like don't like it try it first um, don't knock it until you've tried it you know mindfulness i, I put in a, a mindfulness program in one company i was actually taking mindfulness sessions to a full house in the boardroom had to bring extra chairs in because everyone was trying it and loved it absolutely loved it i never thought they would because it was a very um pragmatic company that, you know, had delivery at its heart. You put something in like mindfulness and, and all of a sudden you've got the managing director sitting there with, with a load of people from accounts and you're all going, so close your eyes. And I like to start thinking about, you know, mindfulness, the present. It was a weird experience for me, actually, as a facilitator, that to see all these different people, I suppose, le- leveled by the experience. It doesn't matter if there was an MD or a, an accounting clerk, they were levelled by this experience because it's so human.
0: If um, I don't know if we're going to go down a rabbit hole with this, but just so where my, my brain's gone, so let's see, what, let's see what happens. So if the ideal is everyone wants to be involved in the virtuous circle of well-being, so everyone wants to be involved in whatever the business is doing around those issues, how does that affect our hiring? Because it could end up, because people who aren't involved in it may other people feel less comfortable to get involved in it. So we're thinking about hiring. Does that affect the questions we're asking people when we're hiring people or the types of people we want to bring in? Because we're trying to create this overall culture. Do you see what I mean?
1: Mm. So I'm not sure it would affect the questions that we're asking people. I think it's about being transparent mm. with the offers that we're doing with well-being. It's about being right there up front saying, you know, we are an open, transparent company. We talk about, things that people are struggling with we don't force people to talk obviously but we encourage you to share your problems so I don't think it changes the questions we ask it might change the transparency at, at interview or, or in our materials in our recruiting materials. Yeah that makes sense what, what, what do you think Joe?
2: Yeah similarly I don't think it will make a difference to the hiring other than you know I guess for some who really don't want to be in part of that environment it might put them off an organization if they you know if they come in that cynical attitude of it's all happy clappy and everyone's talking about how they feel that's not me you know I can see that but I don't see it being an issue really it's it's something that could be a good point about your company because you care about your people and that's a good message <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. And do you think, um, Joe, who do you think should lead the well-being project? So there needs to be somebody or some some people who is accountable for making sure it's ongoing. Is that the CEO? Is it HR? Is it is it a team of volunteers? What, what, what do you think?
2: I'd love to see it being a cross-functional project team of you know of all levels. You've got senior managers involved in it, but you've got the whole organisation represented. And then hopefully what you would do within that is you'd get people addressing particular needs that need met. So you've got one overall team, but you might have someone who, you know, when, from your work that you do, you might find that you've got several interventions that you want to put in place. So you might have a programme and then you'll split up to implement those. So for me, it'd be cross functional across, the, across the, the organisation, definitely, to make sure
1: everyone's represented. And certainly not an HR piece. So, so HR would, would be involved, but I would always say that HR get badged with "Oh, it's a people thing, you deliver that, you're responsible for it. No, it's really not. It can be something HR support with, be part of, but it shouldn't be owned by HR, that's my personal opinion. It, sh- it should be owned by the CEO or the managing director. Okay, cool.
0: And we've, if we break it down into the virtuous circle, we've got the individuals and we've got the, 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 the management. What would you say are the responsibilities of the management, Andy, when it comes to the circle?
1: I suppose starting it off, doing that very first step of starting the circle, being there saying, let's have a well-being programme. What do we need to put in place? Uh, let's start the discussions. That's the responsibility. I then suppose it then goes to listening to what's told and acting on that, if possible, because... The worst thing you can do is open up. You know, it's, it's like engagement. If you if you do an engagement survey and then you don't listen to the feedback that you're getting and you just go on and you think you've ticked that box because, well, I've asked the people, that'd be enough. It's the worst possible thing. You're better not asking in the first place. But as long as you are prepared to be open, listen, and put some things in place that will help the well-being of your people, that that's the main thing. So start there
0: the responsibility of the management really is to get on board with it, whether they potentially believe in it or not, I suppose, so as to create that space. Is, is that fair?
1: Mm, that's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because if your leadership doesn't agree with it, you can't force them to agree with it. But I mean, Joe, from, from a psychological perspective, there, that's a tricky one. But, yeah, yeah I mean, how, how do you persuade people if, if they're really adamant that this isn't going to work?
2: But, uh, you know, that would have come across before you've launched your programme, isn't it? This is a discussion before you said, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And then there's the argument to win them over with the things that we started this discussion of with the impact on the organisation and your employees. But as you say, you, you could always have that one person who is just literally nodding, but inside they're not really committed and they're a bit cynical. That's a shame. But, you you know, you, you may never change them, menu. I mean, hopefully the results will speak for themselves when yeah. you get them engaged.
1: And I suppose that would be our job. You know, if if you, if if a business were bringing us in as consultants to help them with a wellbeing program, part of our job would be to help influence the board so that, you know, you don't have any detractors or really talk about what does this all mean and show the hard proof and the stats that show like engagement, um, employee engagement. We know that employee engagement and having a happier, productive workforce helps business wellness is exactly the same you know and, and it's difficult to deny it in many ways and there's so many companies out there the big companies that are delivering this and having results and they're putting extreme programs and you know yoga rooms live yoga yeah all, all of that stuff that's happening so there has to be something in it and i suppose it's about turning around and influencing people's thinking that this is a good thing and why it's so good
2: but i think Maybe that's again got- why it's important that the employees themselves have that responsibility you know they have a responsibility to feedback you know what are they getting from this how has it changed their uh, experience at work what are they taking from it and for them to support each other as well you know you could could have that someone sitting next to you who's really quite cynical about it but they can talk about their experiences and share it so that they're also part of that circle and it's coming back around so I think everyone does have a part to play in this you know, and to start looking at themselves to say, well, why why am I against this, or why am I resistant? You know, is it because it's something I've never done before, or because I don't really believe that they care? <laughs> I don't know. You know, just to start thinking about it themselves.
0: Absolutely. And did you think there's any other responsibilities which lie on the employee and the individual which, which stand out to you?
1: I suppose it's about being honest with the needs. So if you're asked a question, and if you're asked what what health needs or what wellness needs. Uh, you need. It's about being honest and supporting a program. Programs will fail if people don't support them. So if you are asked and you say, yes, this is what I'd like, it's about then supporting it and making sure that's ongoing. Um, we all know how difficult it is if if you put on a great program that you think you've got the engagement for and then people drop off gradually. So it's about maintaining that. Sorry, Joe, that, that's just maybe yeah. I think about a flexible program. and just because you put in a program it doesn't have to be there for ever and a day the way it's it's incepted you know the from the inception it can change and that's important to be agile and say okay well this year the theme was yoga to use the that, that funny one but this year the theme was yoga next year it's going to be mindfulness the year after that healthy eating and, and you could break that down into chunks so that you keep it alive and interesting sorry joe you were saying no no
2: i think that's really important to keep it alive and interesting but What I wanted to say was that, you know, we know that sometimes our line management, et cetera, can say to us, but I want this delivered today. You know, the pressures are still there. You've still got your objectives. And businesses have got some really hard targets going on at the moment. You know, budgets can be tight. They've had a tough year for some of them. And yes, they might go, okay, well, let's put this program in place. And it might be that involves somebody taking time away from their desk. and you know, if it's not supported within the culture and you still feel that drive to hit that objective and you've got to produce that piece of work, then people aren't going to, they're going to start dropping out of mindfulness, aren't they? They're gonna, you know, it's the first thing I do and I've got a lot of pressure on. I skip my lunch and I, you know, start working late and I haven't got time. I can't even think about doing mindfulness right now to go into a room and start having an empty mind when I've got this deadline to deliver. So I don't think it is just about, and Andy's not, not suggesting it is just about those programmes, but it has to be supported by the overall culture of this is important. And to perhaps some think about inside of it, the pressures that they're putting on their staff, you know, to enable them to feel like they can attend or free up some time to think about their well-being.
0: What's some um, we've, we've mentioned yoga a few times as an, an easy example. What what's some really good tangible things that businesses can do that either you might suggest or you've seen companies doing really well that supports the well being of, of their, their people?
2: Well, no, I mean, I, I, what comes to more my mind are not those sort of classes and things like that. Mine are more the you know at the moment you might have somebody coming in to sort of do some education on financial well being. A lot of people are worried about their finances. That's taking a lot of mental energy and a lot of distraction away from the workplace. So it can just be some of that sort of interjection in terms of information and teaching. It can be line manager training on compassion so that you're encouraging to do some active listening. It can be some peer-to-peer support groups that isn't really anything. It's just you've got forums at lunchtime. It can be about things to support the remote working if that's the way it's going to make people that actually can still make those social connections I know we said earlier on that people are used to working from home now and it's what they want, but actually people aren't necessarily picking the phone if they've got a psychological issue to talk to their colleague or have that moan or, you know, I've just come off the phone from so-and-so and, oh, you know, you're not necessarily making that call to someone else that you might just talk to someone in the corridor. So I think there's uh, just some of those sort of interventions that can actually just help that are not necessarily a yoga program or free fruit. It's actually training and education that just might help a lot, lot of people and some coaching support. Just, you know, meant to sort of just, I want to make a change here, but I don't feel as if I know how.
1: I mean, I, I joke about the yoga and the free fruit all the time because that's the perpetual joke that that's what wellness programs are, that... Certainly, from what Joe said there, I totally agree that the networks, the support networks that we can put in place in businesses, actually no cost, really, apart from a little bit of time, but the lunch and learn sessions. So it doesn't have to be about particular things that are health-related. It's just a chance for people to talk about something that's not work-related, which often helps. It's that opportunity to switch off. The amount of times we all work through our launches, and that's one of the first things that I'd say, That will help change the culture. If you said to everybody, everybody needs to stop for half an hour today. No emails for half an hour. That's all we need to do to make a step towards that change. That's a no cost, apart from potential lost productivity. But that's productivity that won't be productive because at the end of the day, we we switch off. We switch off. So even that half hour while people are doing their emails over their lunch break, it's going to have a negative impact. But tons of no cost or low cost stuff that you can do.
0: I think the the piece around financial advice is so important because I think money is the root of so much stress. And I think actually I'm hearing more and more now that businesses are providing internal or getting external sources into support people with how they're spending their money and what they're doing with their money and everything like that. It's so important, isn't it?
1: And there's another one there, Paul, that, that so fundraising opportunities for people. So if you can help people help others, Mm. that will also benefit their mental health so can do you have a give as your own program in place is there an opportunity for you to give someone a couple of hours off every month so they can go and do a bit of volunteering because that will also impact their mental health positively if they're helping other people
0: yeah absolutely Uh, we, we had a question come through on the direct chat so do you think lack of vulnerability is seen as a good thing within a business by those at board level? Oh, look, John never has issues. We should promote him. Or is vulnerability a good thing? John is human. He will connect better with our workforce, as his examples there, So two flip sides. I've seen and heard both. What do you guys think?
1: My personal opinion is vulnerability is always a better way to go. We used to have that view that everybody was instructing, didn't we, at the top? Even that people who were in power you know, we thought that they were perfect and they knew what they were doing. It was a fallacy because they're human, that everybody is just human. There is nobody who won't struggle at some point in their life with something that's going on in their life. And we're not stupid. (laughs) Deep down, we know that in the back of our minds. So if you start telling people, I'm invincible, you know, I'm the managing director and I'm invincible. I've never had a problem with mental health. I've never struggled. I've never felt stressed. I've never felt worried about a presentation they're not going to believe you. Even if they don't consciously think that, in the back of their mind, something will be going, but they're just a human being. So they must have these vulnerabilities. If they're not telling me that, then they're not telling me the truth. If they're not telling me the truth, how can I ever trust them? Yep, absolutely. As as
2: well, it's, it comes to that point of failure at work, isn't it? You know, when you, again, we, we've had a big discussion on imposter syndrome before now and, and it's massive. And I, and I get it all the time. You should see me coming into this, you know, what, what have I got to say about this? You know, I'm going to be, find out. I'm just a fraud, you know, and it's purely imposter syndrome. And we work so hard to sort of, you know, someone's going to find out. Someone's going to discover. I don't really know what I'm talking about. And, you know, actually we don't need to feel like that. Most people do feel like that at some point at least. And, Showing, you know, those at the top can show that vulnerability that actually, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. We all do it. You know, we learn from it, and that's okay. And I think that whole feeling of it's okay to learn is is revolutionary in the workplace, isn't it? Because you just want that sigh of relief. Because I just would work my whole time in my corporate life of oh my god, you know, that two o'clock in the morning when you woke up and you're not able to think rationally, where you go, oh my gosh, I've made that mistake, and the whole company is going to fall down around, and it's all going to be my fault. And actually because we're just so afraid of making mistakes at work. And someone just saying, you know, it's okay, we learn from it, it's just thanks. You know, I just want someone to say that to me. And and I'm very grateful (laughs) of that. So I think vulnerability is really important to show that it's okay.
0: Yeah, 100. I mean, I, I've definitely I've changed a lot in the last four or five years, and I think um, I'm much more of an open book. This is about as an open book, open a book as I get anyway, uh, than I was a few years ago. And I remember when on my previous job, someone who was quite open with how they felt and recruitment has a lot of ups and downs. And he was having a, a bad day, and he said to me, he "said Why, why do you just seem like there's nothing ever wrong? Why is there never? Why do you never feel like there's nothing ever wrong?" And I took that as a compliment, but actually. I was making him uncomfortable because I didn't actually, I wasn't displaying anything and then he thought there was something wrong with him. So it's that, yeah, I think uh, the vulnerability side, I'd absolutely concur.
2: But I think it's a long journey. Don't get Mm. me wrong. You know, there are still going to be a lot of people who are scared of vulnerability and Mm. scared of working with someone who's vulnerable because, you know, they might not know what to do or say in response and, (laughs) You know, I think it's a long journey to get there, but I think it does help a lot of people, the more
1: vulnerability that is out there. and It is is scary. Moving from, you know, being that invincible boss to being that person who is just human is a scary place. I mean, I made that transition myself. And I mean, going back three, four years ago, I always thought that as a counsellor, as a coach, as a mediator, I needed to be perfect. I thought that I couldn't suffer with mental health because... If I was suffering, then how could I possibly help someone else who was suffering? But a bad experience quickly showed me that I was just as vulnerable. And actually, I can help people because I've been there. I've done it. I've got a T-shirt. Um, I have had those moments where things have been falling down around me and I've not known what to do and I've had to seek help. And because I can talk about that, it still makes me quite anxious talking about it, but I can talk about it and other people will see that they can talk about it too and they can come to me if they need help because I've been there I know what it's like and I can help.
2: It builds on that whole thing of bringing your whole self to work if you don't feel like you can bring your whole self to work because someone's not going to understand you or you can't talk about that then that's quite stressful on you as a person to uh, try and pretend to be something that you're not and then that builds up that whole stress feeling And we've talked about the uh, implications of that earlier on, didn't we? But we, we just want people to be able to feel relaxed at work, to be able to perform at their best, ultimately.
0: So we've got one final question, and I think it's, it's quite a big one. And I think we had a good debate about it last time. So everyone's talking about mental health, everyone has been now. And I think there's a the good thing is there's a lot of authentic care around talking about mental health, and mental well being. But of course, there is the element of the, there's a tick list, you know, companies are doing it because they think that's what people want to do and what they think they should be doing. So how do we stop get people getting sick of talking about mental health, and mental well being, and send it right the other way? What do you think, Andy? What's up, you?
1: OK, so I think we need to be careful how we're talking about it and when we're talking about it. We tend, certainly my, my perception is that we tend to talk about it as a negative thing. If you don't do this, this will happen. It would be good if we could talk about the positives instead. So talk about the positives of the being the vulnerable. So instead of looking at the negative side of mental health, let's look about the positive piece and not saying, that there's there's a threat or an implication if you don't do it this way because people will turn off. I think you can get apathy to anything if it's all the time. This has been an unusual 18 months for everybody. And the last thing we would want is for people to turn and say, I am so sick of hearing about mental health. Mm. I just want to do my job and you might get that in some circumstances so the best thing to do is to manage it carefully and make sure you're not inundating people with the same messages over and over and over again so keep it changed up and talk about all aspects of health both physical and mental and making sure that you you can keep people interested but time it as well you know with any program you would always think about the timing and the implications of launching something on a particular day use a calendar to make sure that you are giving people the best things that they can have at the best times for them.
0: Makes sense. Joe. what do you think?
2: I actually really welcome it and love it because I think it's time to grab it, but do it. You know, let's get, people are going to get sick of it if you talk about it and there's no action. So don't just talk about it, you know, talk about what you're going to do about it. And then I think if people see some of the um, output from that, then they're not going to get sick of it. people get sick of is people talking about something and just talking about it and talking about it and talking about it and then it's boring you know and i'm not talking here about the people who are experiencing it i'm talking about the you know the people who are talking about addressing it Just, just talk about it do it and let's grab that momentum while it's here and i think it's a good
0: thing i mean it's a good place to finish up thanks so much both of you so joe if anyone would like to reach out to you who's listening today on the webinar or the podcast what's the best way for them to do so
2: My email address, joe at proaction-hr.co.uk.
0: Fantastic. What about you, Andy?
1: Uh, Andy at peoplewhisperer.co.uk
0: fantastic well look thank, I know how busy you are um, so thank you very much for fitting us into your schedule and sharing uh, your thoughts and advice with everyone today lots of takeaways thanks to the audience for tuning in today on the live webinar on such a hot day thanks to everyone listening to on the podcast we're going to be having a another two week break uh, the next one will be on the 30th of June we'll be discussing uh, EVP and how to use that as a talent retention tool so thanks everybody thanks thanks to the speakers again and uh, I'll see you in a couple of weeks